This episode of Asians Represent is brought to you by our amazing supporters at patreon.com slash aznsrepresent and the OneShot Podcast Network. Join our Discord community by heading to aznsrepresent.com. Can you believe that we have been streaming for over two years now? Oh, over a year now. Oh, over two years. Over it's two, two years. years. Yeah. Over two years now. And yeah, like we, we can we can count like when we started like Dungeons into Asians and like all that kind of stuff. But I I I don't believe it. Like when you tell you the numbers come up and I look it back and I'm like, where was I? What was happening? And I listen to old like recordings things like that. I'm like, man, that is me. And this is just like very surreal. Yeah. Which I've also been told is a very common thing to hear when you go back and you have this like record, this library of work you've done. Yeah. August 16th, 2018 is was the first ever upload of Asians Represent. Damn. Yeah. Damn. I know. It's 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 a lot. Um it's a it's a lot to think about because it's like, oh my God. We have been doing this for four years. It's mm-hmm. been four, four years of Asians represent, and we haven't really fully done a, a, a debrief or anything um, of our experiences. Like we did our special sort of stream anniversary was the was episode fifty one where we talked about turning red, which mm-hmm. still oh, so that movie's so good. <laughs> that movie is. That movie is so good. Um, but uh, we didn't get to do a proper episode where we just, let's just talk about the show itself. An episode about the show. Um, not about an external topic or, you know, a hot topic or a topic of interest. Episode about the show. Um, and that's what this is. Uh, we've had a lot going on. Agatha is unfortunately... Um, a little under the weather. So Agatha won't be uh, with Asians Represent for the rest of the season. Um, I talked to Amar uh, maybe uh, two weeks ago, or just under two weeks ago. We, we talked on the phone. I, I call Amar every now and then just to check in. And well, Amar is doing better, but not yet ready to come back to Asians Rep, and that's okay. Um, but right now, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's you and I, Steve. One thing I really miss, because I know, Amar, you're going to be listening to this when you can. I miss our Simpsons references because literally no one else on Asians Represent gets our Simpsons references. I, I don't. Just, my my partner's super into it. I, I don't get it. Like, I've watched the Simpsons. I've watched a lot of it. But I I can't, you know, I made a point. I made a Gamblor reference the other day. Uh, and literally everyone's like blank stares. Uh, I'm like, oh. What is Gamblor? <laughs> I can't. Oh. There's a scene in The Simpsons where Marge has a gambling addiction. And okay. to be fair, they handle it poorly. And the show lampshades it. Like, we handle it really poorly. And right. they just put a lampshade on it. But Homer uh, is lamenting how much he misses his wife and how his wife was really holding the family together without her the beginning to like fall apart at the seams. Hmm. And he calls gambling a monster. And he's like, I name him Gamblor. And he's tearing our family apart. And I'm like, yeah, that's a good line. That's a I good line. Have- I would have never gotten that. No, no. Of course you wouldn't. Why would you? No. If it was an office reference, I totally would have gotten it. But Simpsons? Nah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Maybe if you reference something from South Park, I would have gotten it. Um, that one's pretty hit and miss. I yeah, that yeah, one's yeah. hit and miss with like quality. Um, but there are when it when it when there are the classic episodes, it it's really good. But when it's bad, it's really bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, low low floor, high ceiling. Yeah, it, exactly. I also feel like that's the TTRPG industry. Get <laughs> 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 ooh, ooh. Um, spicy already. I wouldn't say that's spicy. I think that's with it, with anything, right? Uh, it's like it could go. We've seen that on the show. It could go really, really bad, or it could go be amazing, right? There are some products out there that we were like, "Oh my god, that is absolutely awesome." And then there are those we're like, "Well, that was shit," um, and we're gonna spend forty hours reading it. Um, we should also, oh, I'll add that to the agenda. We should also talk about uh, Asians read. Um, I mean, we don't have to. No, I can't believe I didn't even uh, put that on the agenda. But yeah, so folks who are who are joining us, we're gonna we're gonna dive right into it because um, we don't have any sort of pre-recorded stuff. It's just Steve and I. You may notice if you're watching the video on YouTube that I look different. I am illuminated because I moved my entire setup downstairs. Um, for folks who, I think all the Toronto based Asians represent folks have been to my home. I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure. Yes. Everyone has been to Asians cause we recorded it at my dining room table and Kian has been here a couple times. Emma's been here. My, Ooh. my, 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 my pause there was Adam Ali. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think Norden been hasn't been here. Norden, but, Norden hasn't been here. But Norden doesn't count as GTA, so... No, Pickering, Pickering is GTA. I'm talking about Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, shade. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I am no I longer in... in for those of you who were watching before, my desk was five feet from my bed. Uh, and it was in this... I live in a loft, so I live in this... It's a weird building. Um, I realize that there aren't lofts everywhere, so... Um, I live in a, my partner and I live in an old converted factory. Uh, and so we have super, super high ceilings. It's an entirely open concept uh, condo. And uh, so I had all of my stuff upstairs. It was dark. There's weird lighting. Uh, so I consolidated my work and my, my play desks into one. Uh, and I moved everything downstairs where the lighting is better. So very, uh, very, very exciting uh, it's very exciting for me. <laughs> um, I don't know how I got there, but um, oh yes, yeah, so we talked about the agenda, and then I said, "Hey, you know what? Look at look at me." Um, <laughs> I also went to the dentist, and speaking of look at me, my dentist was like, "Oh, you're trying something new." Uh oh. And I was like, "Oh, I should shave this off," <laughs> uh, which I'll probably be doing after this, anyways. Um, you kind of look like one of the. Stephen Not Yoon, quite Stephen a, Yoon. Stephen Yoon. <laughs> yes, but also I'm gonna say in in one of the Bruce Lee's first films, okay. the not villain but the henchman to the villain, like the the right hand man, kind of has like the same thing going on. Um, so if you want to start putting heroin in ice, uh, you oh, might have a, a villain there. I yeah. gotta, I can Daniel go turn full heel, go for a full villain arc. Um, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But yeah, I've, I've kind of grown this up. But anyways, 
let let's dive back into like what we're going to be talking about today. Let's do it. Yeah, a couple of things on the agenda. We're going to be talking about where Asians represent is right now, and where we want it to be, or where we see it being. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the analytics on the channel, our growth. We'll talk about our production side of things. So if folks are kind of curious about what we do and how we make the show, I am going to spill the beans on everything. Um, So I will share everything because the idea is that we are not meant to be gatekeepers of POC content in the TTRPG space. The whole idea here is for us to be able to inspire other folks to start their own channels, make their own uh, content, create their own TTRPG content, and then us eventually show it off on this show. Um, This is meant to be a platform. So I'm very excited. Um, So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our current sort of workflow processes versus our old ones, how our technology, (laughs) the tech we use has evolved, um, how we keep it low budget. Um, Then we're going to talk about two series. We're going to talk about Asians Read because people ask us about that all the time and Dungeons and Asians. And then we're going to dive into some Q&A because there are some great questions. I think Jeremy is trying to get us to divide <laughs> our our listener base by asking us about 5e and 3.5. And 4e. And 4e. So it, it'll be interesting. Um, the advantage also of me moving stuff down here is that I have most of my TTRPG collection within arm's reach now. Nice. I was going to say the advantage here is that Marla doesn't have to dis- ascend a flight of stairs to get here. So I mean, maybe she, she still has to. Sarah Sarah will still have to come and, and get Marla. But yeah, you're right. I'm really <laughs> hoping that Marla will show up behind me one of these days. Um, she, she, you know, I have like the back of the couch here. Marla used to like sit on this and her fat would pool over the sides. And it would just uh, It was very cute. I do, um, that's, I do that's have a hypothesis that cats understand cameras and understand like behavior changes right. around them. We had a, um, a discord call with one of my local groups and like, like one of our players cats did not show up at all. But as soon as the person like went back to work, the cat went back to the couch area, like where the camera would normally be. I'm like, I think so the thing is know. Marla loves Agatha. Marla it's true. Loves Agatha, um, and when Agatha would come over, it, Marla would always go straight to Agatha. Something yep. about Agatha, because I think maybe because Agatha has cats, or maybe because Agatha always brings food. Um, Marla it's, really liked Agatha. It's because Agatha's so chill. Every time, true. every time I've like hung out with Agatha, like pre-stream or things like that, we've just like had the most chill conversations. We've had like deep conversations as well, and right. we played like deep you know, emotional RPGs and things like that. And she has facilitated those in a way that like, I never thought like it's a standard for me. Yeah. Agatha is very introspective when it comes to their GMing style. It's like going to ask you questions and make you think and feel. Yeah. 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 Um, Now that said, we're going to talk about Asia's read. We're going to talk about Dungeons and Asians and we'll go into Q and a, but right now I really want to start with, first of all, Steve, congratulating you formally for this episode on two years of streaming, right? This summer will mark four years of Asians represent. Thank you. Thank you. And we have done two years of streaming in terms of like our content. um, Let me take a look at what we got here Um, on YouTube. We have had 
a uh, lifetime of 130,299 views on YouTube. Um, we have a lot, like almost 50,000 watch time hours. Uh, and our subscribers have steadily gone up. We're uh, at 26, uh, 2,650 subscribers. Um, I think the thing that's most interesting are actually um, the audience analytics that YouTube uh, gives us. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things is that if you look at our audience, 46.9% of our audience are from the US. Now, of course, if people are using VPNs and stuff, this could be different. But for the most part, almost half of our audience is in the States. Uh, now, from uh, another one is that, you know how YouTube does the um, subtitles or um, uh, they do, you could put like subtitles on it or closed captioning? 96.8% of our audience doesn't actually use that feature on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I've also adjusted all of our YouTube releases and marketing around uh, when our subscribers and viewers are actually on YouTube. And I've been experimenting with it. And I think hmm. in the future, for the next season, we, act we may actually move to a Wednesday release uh, on YouTube. Yeah. We we get this towards the end too, but you know, a lot of our content has long form. I'd be very curious to know how short form content does on our channel as well. But that's like much, much further into our conversation, I think. Yeah, much, much further into the conversation. Um last thing is that like over fifty percent of people who watch our content are not subscribed. So if you're watching right now, subscribe. Um Yeah. And then in terms of downloads on the podcast, we took a huge two-year hiatus on the audio. Um, well, we're just short of 100,000 downloads. Oh, which wow. Which is like a big milestone for us. For sure, um, for sure. So that's that's super exciting. Um, but yeah, that that's those are kind of numbers. But I know in you know our day jobs, our personal lives, numbers are only a part of the conversation. And they don't actually say much about the content we're producing or how we really feel about it, right? Um, so I really want to ask you, Steven, this is something that we were talking about prior to going live, and it's, do we feel like we've succeeded in the two years that we've been streaming? Uh, do we feel like we've succeeded with Asians Represent? Yeah, I think I, I love that question because that question is awful no i shouldn't say it's, the, it's, it's a bad it's a super loaded question it's a loaded question that's a that's a better way of saying it and you and i were already talking about this and i think you know when posed with that kind of question you really have to define what success means and when it comes to success in like all hobbies i think where there's a, a spectrum and growth when it comes to like fitness and like um eating well and all this kind of stuff podcasting i think you have to really set goals and you have to use goals as your Unfortunately, the words goal posts when measuring your success. And when we started together, my goal posts personally were very much like one, gain experience and feel more confident being on camera and having a podcast presence and speaking my mind in like this kind of format, because this for format I think is very powerful. So that was one goal I had and in that respect. I definitely feel more confident and, 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 like I can succeed much better in this kind of format that can lead into other goals that I might have in the future. But that was something I had in mind. The other goal that I had 
was that I wanted people to extend the conversation. I never wanted to be the be all end all. I had that forethought and that foresight to be like, I can't just be the one voice that talks about Oriental Adventures and be done with it. All I can be is a voice that adds into the existing conversation and potentially widen the conversation. Mm. And given YouTube comments, Twitter, like ads and things like that, I think people did take our series and they talked about it a lot. And that really, really helped me understand that, hey, it is progressing. I didn't really have a goal in mind, but I made progress. And the goal was make some progress. And yeah. then when it... And- and then when it came to Dungeons and Asians, I played this character that I'm fairly comfortable with was outside my comfort zone. But what I was looking for was like personal growth. I was like, can I play this character in the setting that Daniel's going to give to me? Because I've never played in like a very specifically like East Asian centric setting. Can I play with that and get something out of it and, and feel good about it? And I far exceeded those expectations. I was playing a character that I love so much. I grew so much. And I had a fucking blast playing. It was great. Yeah. So I like all th- like three out of three. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's no, I, I like when people kind of measure success off of goals, right? Because goals are in a way not tied to necessarily anything materialistic. Um, they can be, they don't always have to. I mean, for me with Asians Represent, it was like I had I had done some podcasting before. And I didn't feel like I had like direction with that. And with Asians Represent, I really, really wanted to have a show where I could network. Not in a professional sense, but I wanted just to make new friends. Like when I first started working in like TTRPGs and making connections in TTRPGs, it was really isolating. Um as a lot of people know, I used to be a teacher at the Royal Ontario Museum here in Toronto. And I was also like, a, I had a lab there and I was doing research there for grad school. And I taught a class that used D&D to teach kids like history and science. And that I had been working, I guess, in TTRPGs um, for like over five years when I even learned that I could even be a part of the community. I didn't know that people played D&D at game stores. I didn't know that these were things that you could do at cons. They were just things that I did at work. And I played D&D so much for work that I didn't even have time to play D&D home games, like regular home games. And I've been playing D&D for over two decades. Uh, And a good chunk of it was only playing D&D and Pathfinder and other TTRPGs professionally. Um, and I don't even say that in like, I'm a streamer. It was like, I was doing it for kids. And um, so when we started Asians Represent, I kind of was like, I want to meet other people who look like me and understand my experiences. But then also, you know, I want to make friends who like the same stuff as me. Um, because when I went to my first con, uh, it was Breakout Con. I did a panel. And I did a panel with um, Shell Con, uh, uh, Portable City on Twitter. Um, they are an awesome artist uh, based in Toronto. And another uh, uh, another professional GM named uh, Sean Monroe 
Uh, he runs an organization in Toronto called the Game Master's Table, which basically does after-school programs for kids with board games and TTRPGs. And we did this panel at Breakout Con. It was at the Hilton. So Toronto people will know this. Uh, maybe you, Steve, because you travel a lot. It's at the Hilton up by Yorkdale Shopping Center. You know, across the street, there's that really old Hilton. Yes. So I that was the first con that I was ever a guest at. And I went there and we did this panel and there were like three people there. And the panel was in a room that was like 15 feet from the pool of the hotel. And I did this panel and I remember being at the con and being like, oh, this is like, it's a cool con because I'd been going to cons for a long time, but it's like so white. And I just remember being at that con and feeling really alone. Not, not because of anything bad that the organizers did or anything, but like, I just didn't know anybody and I didn't feel like I could connect with anyone there. And the wildest thing is the second con I was ever a guest at, I sat right next to Ed Greenwood on a panel. Uh, it was the wildest thing um, at Fan Expo that same year. And um, after Breakout Con the next year, I met a whole bunch of really awesome people at that con. Um, my second Breakout Con felt like it was it had like leveled up uh, i remember because i i met like um oh there's a phone going off <laughs> i i, I want to add on here that um no go keep going oh no no uh, i was just gonna say i met all sorts of amazing like folks in, in ttrpgs but i also met agatha and agatha was like one of the first asian people who i had met who were who was like volunteering and kind of working in the space in Toronto. Um and then Agatha, you know, messaged me on Facebook and we were like, hey, I want to do a podcast. And so for me, it's long long story short, is I really wanted Asians represent one of my goals was to literally meet more people who were Asian and like TTRPGs. Um I had no intentions of ever publishing because I never thought that was an option. Uh, I had never thought that I could freelance because, again, I never thought it was an option because I've never seen anybody like me who worked in the industry. Uh, another goal was really like as we got it rolling was to try to change the sort of perception of the industry and put more Asian voices in there and kind of at the forefront of everything. And I think so far we've succeeded, right? We have done some really awesome things. Like we did an Asians represent panel for D and D celebration. Yes, we did. Like that was awesome, right? We did that. We were we had COVID ruin this because literally two months before COVID, we were gonna we were gonna fly to LA to do Dungeons of the Asians live at D and D live, mm -hmm. and COVID kind of ruined that. Um, but we had all sorts of cool opportunities, and I know that there's some stuff that's currently NDA'd right now that I can't talk about, um, but are just, I'm just so happy to see so many people thriving. When you look at uh, websites like Dicebreaker or uh, shout out to Chase from Dicebreaker, or, or if we look at like the offerings from Wizards of the Coast and the people who work there or you know the folks who freelance on projects, it feels like things have changed. And I don't want to say that Asians represent is the reason why, but I think doing Asians represent has given me more of an insight into all of the amazing voices who contribute to this space. Absolutely. 
And so I, I definitely feel like numbers aside, I don't care about that. I feel like we've succeeded. There are so many people who just message us and are like, I never thought that I could share my culture in a TTRPG. I never knew how I could articulate these feelings. When I see people sort of respond to the episodes that Iza hosted, like, oh my God, I never thought like you have so powerfully articulated how I feel about being a mixed race person. Um, or like when folks who come to the discord server, I was literally talking to a member of the discord server and they had never heard of our show and I'm not going to say their name, but they're awesome. Um, they never heard of our show until a friend was like, Hey, I'm going to be on the show. You should come watch me be on the show. Um, and then they found the discord server because of that. And then they made all these friends and then they love the discord server. And it's like, there are so many people who are like, I finally found a space where I can connect with like-minded people and people who are like me and share my experiences and struggles. And like, I really can't ask for more, right? If we shut down Asians Represent, if this was the last ever episode, clickbait, oh, um, <laughs> if this was the last ever episode of Asians Represent, I'd be happy with the legacy that we've left. That's, that's such an interesting idea. It's kind of like, what if we just stopped? Like, yeah, as, a, we'll, as a thought exercise, what, what would that ha- would look like? And that's, I think, really interesting because that's another way to measure your success, I think. Yeah, so what, what do you, how do you think, how do you feel about that? So if we were just, uh, if this was the last ever Asians represent thing, would you be okay with that? So, so as, as weird it might sound, I'm okay with it and I feel very similar to you and I didn't, this is very interesting to me because I didn't think I would, but... If we just shut it down right now, I'd be like, okay, it it is what it is. But then given all this experience stuff, I would still seek out those connections. I would still go to the cons. I would still say, hey, I was involved in these projects and like these things mean a lot to me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you and I could really have a good conversation about it. Do you want to grab a coffee or whatever it's going to be? And right. that has always been something I've really driven for. And it just so happens that Asian Represent is the platform where I got to do that at like a really expedited way, right? <laughs> like it happened so fast. It's like Asians represent is Asian LinkedIn for studio RPGs. Um, yeah, I I feel the same way. For me, it's like I don't want to stop doing Asians represent. There are certainly, and you know this, there are certainly times where I'm like, you know what, fuck it, nobody appreciates what we do. Let's just end it. But at the same time, there's also like, I still feel like we're making progress and having an impact. So I'm really, really, really happy with that. And I won't consider stopping Asians represent unless there's like, I got like mad family stuff that I got to deal with or, you know, shit happens. But right now I'm really happy continuing to do what we, what we've been doing. And I think that's due to the change in our cadence. I think going from a weekly show to bi-weekly in 10 episode bursts has been the thing that has made Asians represent more sustainable, right? We don't do this. And folks who are listening or watching, you'll notice that we're not talking about money. We're not talking about gains. Um, We are literally talking about impact, right? Values. As long as Asians represent aligns with our personal values, which are different, yet somehow align with Asians represent, we, we feel like Asians represent has been successful. Um, but I think one of the things that has made it sustainable 
is kind of the change in model that we've had in all we've been doing for almost a year, right? Right now we're doing 10 episode seasons or 10 episode chunks of episodes. Um, the reason why I like it is because it doesn't feel like we're forcing. When we were doing the wrap up, it felt like we were just trying to find something to talk about. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the quality dipped a bit um, because we were like, okay, we got to try to find something, right? That happens. Um, but now when we're doing every two episodes, every like every like two a month, we're like, okay, what are we going to do? We're going to have a meaningful conversation about this. And I think that we're having, uh, our content has improved. I also think that we are getting far more efficient in the production side of things. So uh, so before you go into the production side of things, I think yeah. a lot of folks might actually really care about what we have to say in this idea that, you know, trying to adhere to a schedule weekly. Weekly is a very common way that people try to make their podcasts or other like, um, product and weekly obviously was hard. Can you maybe go into more detail about like why it was so difficult and like the struggles that you went through as oh, you yeah. know our producer and editor? So like when we were weekly, I did all of like the graphic design. I did all of the editing. I did all of the scheduling, all of the note taking, the arranging. I was also leading the Discord at the same time, um, and I was doing all of our social media, our email, coordinating with the network. Literally everything Asians represent that folks heard or saw was because of me. Um, like obviously guests have things to say and all that, like that's them. But the fact that they were there, the fact that the stream happened, the fact that the audio you know, was being recorded was all me. I was also editing all of the audio when we were just audio only and hosting it in my home. Um, and weekly is not only tough intellectually when your show is known for being educational. That's very difficult to do because if we're constantly talking about, if we were just like, if we met every Friday and we just talk shit, I'd be fine doing that weekly. But we're trying to have an impact. Talking talking shit weekly on a Friday just doesn't align with what we're trying to do now. Um, and so that part was very difficult, but also I just like I had no life doing Asians Represent. Because my weekends would be spent taking care of all of our content or responding to emails or dealing with the abuse that we that we got when we were doing Asians Read. Also internally, I think a lot of people kind of put Asians Represent on a pedestal and they're like, Asians Represent is the Asian show when we have never said that we want to be that or intend to be that. But then a lot of people are like, Asians Represent, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Without really believe, realizing that it's, Literally, Daniel, why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you giving me this? Why aren't you? And it was really tough. And so I was like, fuck it. I can't do it. And that's what happened last last like May, June when I like burnt out. Um, so going every two weeks and being really purposeful with our content has been much better for me on a sort of like from a mental health perspective. It's also the reason why we can return to the audio feed because we made the conscious decision to not put things on the audio because we just were trying to survive, right? The pandemic was happening, but we were like, we need to do something. I missed I missed your faces. So let's put something out there and let's do video because Jade always was like, 
we should do video because we need to be visible. We can't just be heard. We need to be seen. And so we kind of leaned in on that. But now that we've gone every two weeks and we have new processes in place to deal with all of this content, we can do audio, we could do YouTube, we could do Twitch, and it's now very easy for me. Um, but that's also because I'm very process driven. Yeah. Are there many, maybe any like processes that like you adopted that helped you kind of progress and like make this more sustainable? There are things I want to do, um, but I don't think we're at that point yet. Um, because right now, because Agatha is ill and Amara is ill, I'm actually taking on both of their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. um, on paper, a lot of folks don't realize that Asians represent is actually um, Agatha, Amar, Jade, and myself. Um, and so right now, I am doing the work of four people. Uh, but it's sustainable. Um, a couple of things that I want to incorporate in the future, like obviously we're we're using... Like I've decided on the the tools that we are going to use. There isn't really a platform that is perfect for us yet um, or as accessible for our guests. So the tools that we kind of settled on, I think we're going to stick with for a while. On the back end, I would like to switch to other tools. Um, but I don't think we have grown operationally to that point. Uh, for those of you who are kind of curious as to what we do on the back end, uh, agents represent in the email account that we have is we do everything on the G Suite through the OneShot Podcast Network. Um, that is a major investment that they've given us. So we have access to um, like an enterprise level G Suite account. Uh, that's what our email runs through. It's what we do all of our cloud sort of storage on. Now, on the back end, we Google doesn't have the best sort of um, project management uh, tools. Um, they have them, but not really what I like. Uh, I personally prefer something like um, like Jira or Asana. Mm -hmm. uh, but right now, the most accessible thing is actually Notion. So we use Notion.so. And I would show it if I could, but there's personal information on there. Um, I basically built a custom CRM for Asians Represent. Um, and I and, have... And what's a, what's a CRM for some of our viewers? Oh, it's like... It, in like, you know, outside of podcasts, it's a customer relationship manager, right? But on this end, it's basically a database of every single guest, their socials, their pronouns, the episodes that they've been on. And it's all automated on the back end here on Asians Represent. I have uh, a system in place so that we can track podcast recordings. Um, we can track the status of things if they're in development, if they've been streamed, if they've been released, and what platforms they've been released on. And I also have a way of basically tracking and making sure that we are consistent with our show notes for patrons. On the same end, it's also where I do a lot of my prep for Dungeons & Asians. I've been preparing for the return of Dungeons & Asians for a year now. Um, I have written 20,000 words of campaign <laughs> setting. <laughs> of course you have. Of course you have. I just have. Um, and um, that's not in Notion. Um, but uh, I will be transferring stuff over uh, when we find a new platform. But I do everything out of, out of Notion for Agents Represent. Um, yeah, that has been the big tool for us. For video, when folks are looking, we're obviously using Zoom. The reason why I like Zoom is because it's very easy for other folks to use. It's a tool that people understand. Uh, Zoom also happens to have a chat, a waiting room. It's just a great tool for that. Um, Zoom also can record locally. Uh, and 
it can record multi-track audio. So Zoom is a great backup for us and has video. The fact that I can rearrange things is really awesome. For audio recording, initially we were using Audacity. It's pretty standard for podcasts. It's like, everybody get Audacity, record yourselves, and we'll clap in. Uh, and then somebody will go and you know edit things up. Mm-hmm. We stopped using Audacity and switched to Zencaster because we wanted to offload the work and the, the labor of recording from our guests onto Asians Represent. And the great thing about Zencaster is that it's free. So everything that I'm kind of talking about right now, with the exception of the like the Zoom Pro account, everything that we're using except for the, the G Suite, but a Google account is free, is free. Asians Represent can be run on $0. That is a big thing to understand. Um, the quality won't be the same. Like the mics we have are nice. I have this amazing stream deck that lets us do things. Um, but a lot of the backend tools can all be done for free. Um, Zencaster allows us to record multi-track audio. It records individual tracks and I can download all of the recordings from the cloud. So I don't have to hound guests for their audio. Um, so I really like Zencaster and it's also a backup. So when we're doing this stream, we're not only recording video off of either Streamlabs or OBS, but we're recording a backup on Zoom and the audio on Zencaster. So I have everything available. Oop, there we go. Uh, and then I edit everything off of Adobe Audition, which, uh, which we pay for. Um, but because we have all these sources for our files, it becomes really easy to essentially like run agents represent because it, we're basically just a well-oiled machine at this point. Uh, and then everything's backed up on the cloud. Um, so I can basically, when we're done this, I can go edit the video, upload it to YouTube, drop the show notes into Patreon, edit the audio, get it uploaded by Sunday, and then get it ready to go for the public on Monday. Um, pretty quickly. That's really cool (laughs) to hear. Um, yeah, just use Photoshop for all of the overlays, but you could use something super cheap like, um, uh, which is an unfortunate uh, name. It's, um, shit. Oh my God. I forgot. Is it a cloud based? It's, it's a, it's a tool that's very similar to Photoshop, um, and InDesign, but it's a one-time purchase and not, a not a SaaS tool. Um, okay. It is called, fuck, I forget. It was like 40 bucks. I'm personally interested in this. I want to know, but, but my other question, I'll I'll, I'll post it later. Uh, I remember. My other question is that I think for a lot of the our, our modularized creators and, and things like that, something that might really help is given us kind of doing this thing, like if we're going to record this, we're going to two hours-ish, mm-hmm. like how much extra post-production time would you typically budget for something like oh, this? Oh, I like the reason why I'm using something like Audition is because I can make presets. Mm-hmm. So... I have a Steve preset, a Daniel preset, an Agatha preset. So I just slap that on your audio. And the actually, there's only two regular guests of Asians represent who make my life difficult. Oh, um, no. It's you and Emma. <laughs> Is it because I gasp and crack it's beers? It's not the gasps. It's your, it's your keyboard. I have a soft touch keyboard and it's so sad. I try so it, it's, hard. It's your keyboard. And so I, I actually have to... I, 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 I have to listen to every single episode twice because I edit out your keyboard strokes. Same with Emma. Oh, okay. 
It's okay. okay though. I don't care because it's super easy now because you're you both of you are are um produce very big waveforms. So I just go cut, 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 and it's done. Um, but you for some reason, and because I know that you you have a silent keyboard, your microphone just picks it up for some reason, no matter what we do. You know, I, I I bet it has like a weird like I'm using the the wrong setting for it. Like it needs to be more cartoid versus like bi-directional who knows but i mean no no shade i this is like it's like minimal work but if we're talking about like how efficient we can be that's the only thing that i have to um uh that's the only thing i have to edit on the audio there we go also like the music i i've basically made all the clips we need with the music my buddy marco dj pavilon is uh does does the music for us Mm -hmm. uh local toronto-based musician not Asian, but he's Italian DJ. <laughs> I think that's also like a really good point for anyone who's looking to get into this kind of AP uh, actual play or like anything else like that. You know, sourcing local uh, talent is, is like a big cost saving as well. Yeah. And, you know, all the art and everything is um, is all all Asian. Actually, you know what I want to th- I say, I think the biggest thing that helped us out was Samira. And that's thanks to you. I'm, I'm gonna take full credit for that yeah no you, you i love that, take no, no. Full credit for that. <laughs> I, do you want to talk about that <laughs> i i I actually do want to talk about this because i think we got to a point where i kind of got this feeling that you were just like putting things together like you're just construct constructing things on top of my things, weaknesses on top of were things. starting to show yeah and that is fine for a startup like when you start things up you like build a base however you can and like it's sustainable and you build on top of it and you build on top of it. But at some point you're building a block, a, t- a tower, a tower made of blocks. And at some point it starts leaning one way or another. And you have to think about like, will I build the struts and what's required to keep it stable? Or am I willing to talk to another professional who kind of has like a lay of the land and has worked with other companies or oh, by uh, companies, organizations? We're talking about companies. Yeah, <laughs> but other organizations where, you know, they've had these growing pains and is the money worth the pain they'll save you in the coming years? And at some point you'll have to just make the decision. And it's like that cost analysis that you have to do, mm-hmm. but it's worth it to see, hey, there are other people out there that know the struggles you're going through. You're not alone. These struggles are not new. Can they help you and give you something, a toolkit? that will help you make your life easier. And that's why I kind of like provided Samira as a reference too, because I know Samira had worked on it uh, as a freelancer, given all the experience she had with many, many bigger organizations. And I we're have no idea about, how- we're talk about <laughs> Disney. Yeah. <laughs> so so Steve's friend, Samira Khan, uh, Samira Khan on Twitter, I believe. We should we should confirm S- that. Snack Mira. Snack Mira, Snack Mira. Cos- cosplayer, graphic designer, VFX. Samira has credits on like the Mandalorian, like, like, Mm -hmm. like, like work for Disney doing VFX for the Mandalorian. Um, Steve set it up. We had a meeting and Samira was like, you know, you know what you need? You need a brand manual. And I was like, oh my God, yes, we need a brand manual. Now, for those of you who don't know what a brand manual is, it is essentially a document that outlines the Asians represent brand it says this is how we speak these are the asians represent values this is the type of content we make this is our logo so samira designed our logo and all the variations of it the brand manual also outlines how the logo can be manipulated 
colors cannot be changed this way. It cannot be uh, stretched this way. It cannot be inverted this way or anything like that. Um, and it also outlines all of the colors in the Asians represent brand. So anything that you see on screen uh, is a color that Samira picked for us. And the brand manual is basically an instruction on these are your primary colors and these are your secondary colors in your brand. And this is how you use it. There's a very specific white that we use, a very specific purple, a yellow, a green, an orange. And these are all, these are all basically put together by Samira. Samira has also picked the fonts that we use. Um, we have like a primary font and a secondary font because fonts are always paired. Uh, so if I ever try to go and make something, I refer to the brand manual. So I know exactly the hex code for the color that I need. Um, or if we're collaborating with somebody, I send them the brand manual and obviously our logo files. And I say, take it and go. And it has been so goddamn useful. Uh, it is one of the, the, it's the biggest financial investment we've made into Asians Represent, but it has, it's had the biggest impact. Now, not everybody, you don't have to go and find a freelancer who has worked for Disney. There are lots, Samir is also Asian, which is awesome. Um, there are lots of folks who do this kind of work within your budget. Uh, but if, you are making a podcast, or even if you have a company and you're publishing, I know there are so many folks in our Discord server, Asian or not, who have a company um, or just publish under something. Having a brand manual is so important for you to collaborate with other people um, because it, it essentially offloads a lot of the work um, from you. Yeah. So, 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 so happy that we have that because it was a massive game changer. If you look back at our Asians read, without that brand manual, we we're using the same thumbnail, basically with just changed text the entire time. And that just doesn't do well as far as like engagement goes. And as a consumer of like that information, it's kind of boring. But now yeah. if you like watch the Twitter for Asians Represent, you'll see all these beautiful thumbnails and the brand manual enables that. Yeah, yeah. And it's... uh there's also just a lot of trial and error, right? Like I didn't go to school for graphic design, so I'm just learning as I go. I'm just really good at talking. Um, <laughs> Me too. I'm just, Me too. I'm just really good at talking. I don't know if the, the, the shit that I say is good, but I can make words come out of my mouth um, for an extended period of time. Uh, so yeah, having that brand manual made everything much easier, especially you know when we work on new content, right? Like we were going to talk about Asians Read and Dungeons and Asians. I think it's very clear that we don't want to do Asians read anymore. I think from a personal level, I get the sense that we don't want to do that anymore, right? I think Asians read came out- Or as it was, as it was. As it was. And I think you and I kind of discussed this. We didn't say it explicitly, but I think you and I were on the same page that it was going to be like more of an outrage kind of thing. It was almost like kind of silly in that way. And- if you look at the first episode and the second episode and the first couple of them, we were quite silly about it. We're very oh, yeah. like donkey, very like it was a joke. Yeah. And then we got this feedback and it's like people really wanted to hear what we had to say about it. And it's like that really changed how we approach the content. Because you and I were on the same page. Um, it's garbage. It's, it's hot trash. garbage. And like we don't want to really get into it. But then people started asking questions and we didn't know this, but they were like, 
can you get more to detail about like why this is so problematic? And I'm like, I didn't think I'd have to, but I guess mm -hmm. now that you've told me, I can put some energy into it. Like Daniel and I, we can talk about it. We can get into it. We could be more nuanced. We could. But that's not Asian read. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I think when Watsi staff members started showing up in, in the Twitch to, to learn from us, we realized that it was like, oh, shit, this is um, we got to take this seriously. And I think that's actually a really good learning that I want to highlight, because given the current state of social media and, and how things progress, outrage content does well. I think you and I would both agree that like if you just like get mad on Twitter or whatever it's going to be, that's how you drive engagement. But you and I quickly understood that like that doesn't necessarily line up with our goals. It, it Yes, it drives engagement and it does not certainly does not align with our goals. But driving short term engagement is not what we wanted. We wanted long term growth, mm -hmm. right? And long term conversation, like you said earlier in, in the recording, right? Uh, and yeah, you know, you can be mad and get attention for being mad. But is that going to actually help you? Are people going to want to work with you? Are companies going to want to listen to you? A lot of people were like, oh, look at Daniel. He got mad at Red Asian Oriental Avengers. And now and then, then he did Candlekeep Mysteries. Like, what the fuck? Right? A lot of people didn't understand that you can be bad and be productive at the same time. Right? Because we want more right? We want yeah. better representation. Um, and I think in, you know, since the pandemic started, there have been just like a ton of really good products that have come out, but also projects, right? Like think about Unbreakable. Yeah. Unbreakable was a, a product of the pandemic. And I think that's given a lot of people opportunities to get their first publication, right? Yeah, you're you talking to yours, one of them. You're, yeah. Uh, right? Um, and, you know, I get to see those books and be really proud of, to, to have worked on them and to just own something where the, the company producing it has the same values as me, like through and through. Um, and so, yeah, for us, I think Asians Read is also something that's not sustainable because every we just can't cover as much because we're just reading the same thing over and over again. Like Kara tour, like we're, we're actually the next episode of the podcast. Yeah. The next episode of the podcast will be the final Kara tour episode because we're like, this book is shit. Why are we still reading this? Like, we're just mm -hmm. saying the same thing over and over again. Let's just do one episode. So we're going to do a debrief episode, just like we did with Oriental adventures and L five R Steve, you know how we did that, those reflection episodes. Yeah. We're going to do one for Kara tour. Um, we will probably do one on sort of the the D and D's Japan, but it might just be one or two episodes, and we're going to talk about its pitfalls, and we're going to do a lot more research going in. Uh, I also want to do the same thing for Al Kadim, but I will not do that without Amar. Yeah, it's not right. I agree. Uh, as much as I want to do it, as much as I I want to like have more of that content, will not do it without Amar. Uh, I will instead do more episodes with those folks if they want to do them. Um, so, you know, Iza knows my DMs are open. Uh, Norda knows my DMs are open. Same with Safia. Like if they want to do, and Ahmed too, even though he was, hasn't been on the show in a while, 
if if there's something that needs to be promoted or there's a topic, we'll do it. Um, so Asians read just isn't sustainable because it, it also just takes up so much time. And that is time that we can spend highlighting other voices, talking about other issues, right? Yeah. We have to pick and choose now. Um, I, I think there's like this, this almost like trap where you are like, okay, I can be angry, get this initial engagement and just keep that up for the entire length of the text. Um, but that's, I think, folly. I think that doesn't yeah. really, it doesn't pan out that way. And like, speaking from experience, trying to be angry for all of like Oriental adventures was really taxing on me personally. And at some point I'm like, I'm just repeating myself and I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how I can bring more nuance to this because my goal at the beginning of it was to drive conversations. Mm-hmm. And if you're just going to be angry, your conversation is kind of boring after the first yeah bit. and look like asians read is had a profound impact on our content because it was that boost that kind of put us out there like sure. this this book like i have a physical copy of this book uh i bought this for like 10 bucks at a con um this book is special not because it's good but because it kind of was marks the start of you know, the new Asians represent. I have both versions of this book. Is that a 3.5? Am I going to say yeah, 3.5? I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> both versions of this book. Like, it is special, but not for the reasons it's special to many non-Asian folk. Um, yeah. But yeah, I just reading through these books is not as productive as we thought it was. Um, if you now, could, if you oh, could, maybe... If you had to go back, if you could go back in time, magic wand, go back time travel and make something like Asians read Oriental Adventures, something more mm-hmm. sustainable, something more valuable in your opinion. Like, is there anything you would change? Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, the way we did care, we were starting to do care tour is the way I would have done it. Basically say, OK, we're going to look at this section. Uh, we have a shared PDF that we're commenting on. These are all of our talking points. And then we'll go into it, read it, and then hit the talking points we want to, you know, touch on. Uh, we will still be surprised live, um, but they we will identify things that we want to really focus our attention on um, and learn from each other and see each other's reactions. That's how I would have done it if I were to read it again. Um, I wish we had done more stuff on art. The mm-hmm. one that we did of the of um, the three point the th- the, the third edition uh, mm-hmm. Oriental Adventures was really great because we were talking about the the art in the book, which was r- real bad. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I think the thing I, if I were to do it again, I would be more specific with like, okay, we're going to talk about the monk. Let's everybody take a look. We'll read through it and we'll go into it. But the way we would produce that is just not the same. We can't do that every Friday. We'd have to do it every two weeks. Uh, or we'd have to do a, dedicate a month to this. And we would just sit down and talk about it. Um, I also think if I were to do this again, I it would be something I wish I could do in person. Mm-hmm. Um, sit down in like a game store or sit down in like... Uh, I would love... Honestly... You know the uh, Lillian H. Smith Library here in Toronto? They got the Merrill Science Fiction Collection. Okay. Um, so the Merrill Collection is a collection of sci-fi books, and they also have a, a TTRBG library. Um, huh. And uh, they've got everything. 
And what's really cool is that when Watsi, and a lot of people don't know this because Watsi, there are good people at Watsi. First of all, there are, they've done lots of things that aren't great. And they've produced things that are not great. But there are lots and lots and lots of very good people at Watsi. Uh, first of all, had some family issues. They reached out and were like, yo, can we send your family some care packages and stuff? Like flowers? Can we just anything? And they were really private about this because my um, content warning, death for the next two minutes. Um, I was doing a D&D celebration panel with like Jim Zub and a whole bunch of other people that were awesome. And an hour before, an hour before the stream, my cousin died. Like I found out that my cousin had passed away, mm-hmm. and the folks who were doing the production team at Watsi was like, "Okay, we're making new overlays in case Daniel ever has to just drop." And they they pulled me aside in like a separate call. And they were like, "Are you still okay to do this?" You don't have to worry. You don't have, don't feel like you're being forced to do this. Do what's right for your family. We will prep everything graphically. If you ever have to drop, you just like throw up a hand sign, put something in the chat and we'll just switch. So you don't have to worry. Take care of yourself. Everybody on that panel was so awesome. And then afterwards they reached out privately and everybody's like, Hey, can we send your family something? Can we send flowers? Um, They were great. Back to the Merrill collection. After Candlekeep Mysteries, Watsi went to every single author on that book and said, we want to send a box of D&D stuff to your local library. Tell us which one. Wow. Yeah. I, d- I didn't know that. that Nobody that's... knows that. I don't think anybody really talked about that. But they were like, we want to do good, right? Because we want D&D, be, D&D to be accessible. So I'm like, send it to this library. And they'll, they'll, they'll like, we'll send it in your name. I said, I don't care. Um, I never went to the library to see if it made it there. I, I'm, I'm certain Watsi sent it. Um, but, but they do great things. Um, there are people there who do, who do good. And remember when we did D&D Celebration, they were like, we will make sure that your panel will be the most heavily moderated chat because of the nature of the, you know, of the topics. So you don't have to worry about the chat. We got you covered. There are really good people there. Um, I don't even know how we got here. Uh, I, I think we're just talking about kind of <laughs> the way that external support can really like help your oh, channel yeah. become sustainable. Yeah. And you know what? The way to cultivate those relationships is putting positive intentions out there, right? This is why we've stopped doing the Asians read stuff because we don't want to be the people who get angry at things and talk about it on the internet. We want to be the people who, you know, experience some negative emotions, but process it live and talk about how things can be better on the internet. I think it's very wise for you to talk about how kind of our rage did actually help the YouTube channel. Like it did. It, it helped it helped the numbers, but it wasn't sustainable and that we had to really go backwards. We had to like digress into okay, what are our goals here? How are we going to achieve those? And is this going to be sustainable? Yeah. I think it's just it's very wise. It was just like it's. I think it's a decision we all made. You get, you get. Nobody can be angry all the time, right? And it's not us. It's not us. It's not healthy, right? I'm just like a guy who likes to play games and eat pizza, (laughs) um, and eat big sandwiches. That's 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 me. Um, I don't want to be angry at books all the time. Um, I just want the hobby that I love to improve. 
and that's also why we started Dungeons and Asians, right? I the first time I ever got to do a real big Watsi thing was D and D Live. I was asked to go play D and D on D and D Live. You can still probably still watch it on Wizards Channel. Played D and D Victoria from the Broadswords, James D'Amato, uh, a couple other one shot folks. Names, I'm so sorry. Uh, it's late. Um, we played D&D Live and Joe Manganiello was selling death save stuff behind me the entire time. Um, got to meet like some awesome people there. Um, met some awesome POCs. I met like, I met POC Gamer for the first time there mm-hmm. and we just bonded. I just, I'm so upset that we're on opposite ends of the country. Um, just such a, such a, knowledgeable and good person um but i remember being there and being like holy shit this is so white um and meeting asians represent fans this is the first time i've ever been at a ttrpg thing with somebody said are you daniel kwan and i was like what the fuck (laughs) and literally we just all the asians just started gravitating and we just ended up all the asians ended up being together at this thing whether we were like talent or we were guests there, which all the Asians instantly became friends. We played D and D together at the uh, at the Epic, um, and it was at that thing that I had a thirty dollar phone call with Amar. <laughs> I was so inspired that I literally called Amar from LA, and I was like, "We have to do an all Asian thing mm-hmm. because." Mm-hmm. I'm sick of not seeing this. And there were tons of other shows at the time, but there was not an all Asian thing. And that's when Dungeons and Asians happened. And then, you know, Dungeons and Asians, first of all, I'm going to grab it. (laughs) She's like scooting around. We are in this book. Yeah, we are. We are in the Dungeons and Dragons annual 2021. And Dungeons and Asians is literally in this book. And it's about like podcasts and shows that you can learn about Dungeons and Dragons from. Um, it is wild that we are right there. Yeah, that's the graphic. Our names are in there, like our full names there's, are in there. There's our full names, and the Dragon Talk is below us. There's Red Moon, Dragon Friends. There's Acquisitions Incorporated. We're on yep. the same spread as these folks. Um, and it was just like such a cool achievement. And... Dungeons and Asians, we would still be doing it now, but you know, things happen, right? And so, maybe one question that I have gotten that I think is appropriate now sure. is, you know, we picked a niche. We were like, okay, this is something that we can make and we can play and we can do, and that would fill this this perceived gap yeah. we have. But Daniel, you were kind of like the showrunner for this. Like, how how would you recommend to other people to find their niche to find what they need to do to really stand out. Oh Any advice? God, yes. <laughs> this is a loaded question because I've already asked Daniel this question. We, we talked yeah. about this at uh, Fan Expo, like 20 whatever. <sighs> yeah, I know. Um, first of all, when you are finding your niche, um, first of all, there are a couple of books that I recommend reading that were deeply influential. Uh, first one was Originals by Adam Grant. Um, actually, uh, three books. Originals by Adam Grant is a fantastic book, uh, just about original ideas and why some of them succeed and why some of them fail. 
It's very much a business book, but it was deeply, um, deeply influential for to, to see how original ideas can thrive and why seemingly good ideas fail. Um, the other one is like start with why. I think most people who like work in in tech or uh, or in business know that book. Start with why by Simon Sinek, right? It's it's about ideas. Um, another fantastic book, um, and one that is very easily accessible because you can get most of it for free online is the um, Twenty Two Immutable Laws of Marketing. Um, I think it's by AJ. Uh, oh, I have a copy somewhere here, um, but it's the 20, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Um, and it's literally about the rules to being a successful brand. And it's still a book that people reference to this day, even though it's a little old. Um, you know, you don't need to be first to market. You just need to be first to mind, right? We may not be the first all Asian show that we know of, but we're certainly the first to mind for most folks. Um, but, uh, you know, that basically spells out all of the rules to, um, yes, um, Alries and, uh, Jack Trout. Um, those three books were, were really, really key. Uh, if you're strapped for cash, you could literally look up summaries to 22 immutable laws, um, on online because it's a, it's a small book. Um, and it, I'm not sure if it's still in print. But that one was very, very, very influential. Um, in terms of building a niche, if you're not looking at those sort of, um, if you're not looking for like tactics, the easiest one is just to be yourself. I mean, that's why Critical Role has been so successful is because they are all pals. They are all friends. Uh, they are all folks who have a genuine chemistry with one another. Um, and people tune in because they like that dynamic right? Um, they like the characters and how they interact with one another. But I also think one of the things that they really like is the respect each of them has for one another. Mm-hmm, the fact mm-hmm. that they give each other space to, to you know, to shine, right? Um, I think that's really contributed to their longevity. Um, so uh, it's, being it's, authentic and being yourself is so important because it's the easiest thing to sustain. So something that's so, so interesting to me is because Critical Role, despite them being very, very good friends and like that shines through, I don't know if just being, you know, what you would be at a, pu- a private table would necessarily net you good results. And I say this because I see a lot of these podcasts where it's like, we're just a whole bunch of friends playing Dungeons and Dragons and we recorded it and we're going to publish it. They kind of yeah. flop. They kind of flop. So another thing is that the folks at Critical Role are also professional performers. Yeah. 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 That's the other thing, right? They are professional performers. And while they have lots of credits in voice acting, like Matt has been in some, some movies and some of the other ones have, have been in film. But for the most part, they are used to, emoting through their voices and not having people see them. They are good at voices. They are good at improv. I think that's another thing. Yeah, you could have like four friends who have like great chemistry, but a lot of people like how they could do all of the different voices. Yeah. And also Critical Role was one of the first actual plays. Again, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Yeah, exactly. 
It's like D&D is not the only table fantasy tabletop role-playing game, but one of the immutable laws of marketing is first to mind. And D&D is literally synonymous with the genre. Yeah. I think for me, one of the things about Critical Role that makes it so entertaining to, to listen to is the fact that um, it doesn't really play like a table, though it feels like one. Like your private table, everyone like is talking and having a good time. But a lot of them, because they're so professional, they'll just shut up for like hours at a time. Like they make the space for each other. Yeah. So actually one question I have for you, Daniel, was that when you were DMing and also producing Dungeons and Asians, you had to naturally had to balance that idea that, you know, we have a personal table. This is how we're going to play and all this kind of stuff. But you also had to balance this idea of production quality. Like, how did you do that? That seems impossible to me, to be honest. Oh, it's just like the people that I picked, right? Um like I, I obviously wanted to have you because you're that was the first thing that you did with us because I met you and I was like, oh, Steve is not me. You're not me, right? You're, you're all of these things. You're all these incredible things that I cannot be, and I am incredible things that you cannot be, and together we are just incredible things, right? Um, and so, you know, I wanted, I, I, I liked you because I liked your energy. I immediately got a sense of your values. Like, first of all, who the fuck shows up at a non-cosplay con with the most aggressive cosplay ever? Excuse you. They told me, they told me on Twitter that it was cosplay friendly. Yeah, but they didn't <laughs> think you were going to come as Red Hood. Okay, fair. <laughs> That's fair. And not even the goofy Red Hood, the Jason Todd Red Hood. Um, but I'm like, this is this is somebody who like I, I can fuck with, right? This is this is like I vibe with you. So like I, I want I wanted something like that, right? I knew Agatha would bring sort of this emotional depth that I could not. And I knew that Amar would do the same, right? I I I literally all of Asians represent, we all met at Breakout Con. <laughs> Actually, now that mm-hmm. I think of it. Um, and that my strength is in world building, right? Because of my archaeology background. I I like to think that I'm very good at world building. And so I think we all had different strengths. Um, and I'm just super, super bummed that we don't have that series anymore. And I think that's something that we wanted to talk about. Um, if you are a patron of the Asians Represent podcast and you haven't checked your email yet, uh, I released the latest episode, the last recorded episode of Judges of Asians on our Patreon. Um, it's available for you to listen in its full two-hour glory. Um, it is one of the best episodes that we ever recorded. Um, we had combat, we had role play, we had world building. It was it was fucking awesome to listen to again. Um, so if you're a patron, you can you get it a week early, uh, and I am going to release it next Thursday um, to the public. So we're going to release that. Um, that said. Dungeons and Asians, the main series, will have to be put on hold for now because Amar and Jade are, are kind of out of commission. And, and right now, so is Agatha. And it just can't be Steve and I, right? This is also not representative of Asians represent as a whole, too. It wouldn't meet our goals. It really wouldn't. Wouldn't. Um, but that said, we have been planning a new series. Agatha and I started a, another podcast on our our Asians represent Patreon called No Dice, No Problem. We're really bad at titles, folks. We're really bad at titles. <laughs> um, Amar, we need you back. <laughs> we need Amar. <laughs> um, 
else. Uh, but yeah, uh, talking about what we wanted to do with a new Dungeons and Asian series, taking into account all the lessons learned making Asians represent up until now. And a couple of things, we settled on a couple of things. One, we want it to be short form. I had a, a, 20, a 20 episode arc planned for the main series. And we would have hit it uh, if not for, you know, other circumstances. Um, but given the nature of the pandemic, the world and, you know, just life, short form is where it's at. Um, I also don't think that I want to do video content for Dungeons and Asians. Um, or at least I don't want to live stream it. Uh, I want to live stream different things. I want to do the sort of, um, I want to live stream character creation or character introductions. I want to live stream, let's talk about, let's live stream talking about the episode that just came out. I want to live stream doing a retrospective of this thing. I want to live stream going over the world and little details. Um, but I don't want to live stream us playing because I honestly don't think that's exciting. Uh, I want Dungeons and Asians to be five to six episodes a season. And I want the episodes to be no longer than an hour uh, for my friend, Ken Davidson, because he's like, Daniel, if you make things over an hour, I won't listen. And I love Ken. <laughs> um, but, but seriously, I think that, you know, having something digestible and shorter than our normal podcast content actually is a great experiment because giving us less than an hour or at least cutting things down to about an hour gives us something a little bit more unique. I want to cut out a lot of the ums and the, the less emotional pauses. I want to do music. Uh, I want us to record over the course of two long three-hour sessions and then cut everything into episodes. Uh, but in also, in order to get shorter-form content that's tighter, I also want to take a different approach. Uh, and the approach I want to take is, Agatha eloquently said, uh, is we want to take the writer's room approach to doing Asians Represent mm. uh, or Dungeons into Asians we want to essentially have a plot that the GM has made. And at this point tested, I have the, my home game. We have been playing the plot to Dungeons and Asians in reverse. Literally, I have been doing everything in the world that basically sets the stage for Dungeons and Asians to make sure it all makes sense. Uh, and we are like like 72 hours of gameplay into it now. Um, and it works. Um, but I want to do a writer's room approach where everybody sits down and we talk about the characters that we want to play, the archetypes that we need to fill, and how we want each episode to play out. What are the narrative beats that we want our characters to hit for each episode? We also decided that we also wanted to have each episode spotlight a particular character. So while the party's all there, each episode is going to highlight more of a particular character. But in order to do that, everybody needs to be on board 
And everybody needs to be able to respond to that. And that can't be something that the GM does alone. So I want to take a writer's room approach. Be like, the, this is the meta plot. I will not reveal certain things to you, but these are the narrative beats that I need to hit in each episode for it to work. What are the things that you want to hit around this? And I ha- I and I think that is going to be more sustainable, but I also think it's going to make for some better storytelling because yeah. I want it to be more of an audio drama than anything. I want certain cool movements, um, like in, in terms of like uh, things to happen mechanically in game. Uh, I just actually signed a, a publishing co-agreement with Liana's company, Valorous Games. And the goal is to actually have the thing done by the time Dungeons and Asians start so people can try it out. Um, and I am very hyped. I also want to have a very small cast. I really liked that we had three cast members. I really liked that because it was manageable and it gave everyone space to, you know, be in the spotlight. But on top of that, it also gave us room to have guests. You know, it wasn't lost on me that Harmon Quest also had that same setup. Same thing. That, it was the exact that, same setup. We did that intentionally because of Harmon Quest. Yeah. And I think uh, there's a lot of parallels between you and like the showrunners of Harmon Quest and the idea that we're going to highlight and like really drive towards character driven stories. We care about the stories, we care about the arcs of the stories, but we also mm-hmm. want the space to explore the messy in betweens. And Harmon Quest, if you go back and watch it, is really, really messy, but it's kind of like a, a good controlled way. chaos. Yeah. Yeah. But that's so the brand. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I think that really resonates with a lot of audiences given our current state and like what the market looks like. Yep. Yeah. 100%. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. Now, I also want to make sure that the Dungeons and Asians series is going to be called Dungeons and Asians Revenge of the Mountain Orchid. I haven't changed that. That's what it's going to be. Um, I want it to exist in parallel with the main Dungeons and Asians series. Um, so I want the history of the world that I've created is actually in parallel to Xia. Um, mm-hmm. Xia actually fucked over the land that this new world is going to take place in. And by you don't fucked say. Over, I mean, but I, by fucked over, I mean. They tried to invade Shah, and Shah was like, nah. Um, so there's some interesting stuff here. And I want a future season to have political intrigue where, hey, potentially we get La Ning coming over to Yue um, on a mission from Shah, on a maybe nefarious mission. Um, so that way we could have a one off where you're playing this other character. Um, I want to do cool things, but I also want to make sure that it aligns with the character you made. So I actually want to pause here and talk about like making a character for an actual play because, you know, yeah. you, you were there like GMing, like you had all these things going. It's like, how do you as a player support your GM and your showrunner to, to have something that's really there? And I think the main thing when it comes to making a character that drives the story is to make them really simple. Lan yes. Ning is yes. very simple at her core. She is one, an assassin, and two, really wants her parents to love her. 
But like, also super sheltered. Yeah, yeah. But I think that shelteredness actually came out of those two core ideas that I had. These mm-hmm. two core ideas of like serving, you know, country, which ended up being like very, very complex and serving your family. Those two poles really anchored me in like how I want to develop La Ning. And then all I had to do was just connect the dots between the world you were building. If this was any other world, La Ning would still work. And Lunning would still work in a way that would vibe off of other characters as well. Yep. So my learning from Dungeons and Asians, and like I learned this previously in like my other groups, but I feel like it's worth saying out loud, is that complex storylines um kind of suck for this kind really of like do. this this kind of like vibe. You want hard anchors. You don't want to Show the path of the ship. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to. I kind of want to talk about where I wanted to take the Dungeons and Asians plot. I will tell you that like if you like the, you can't spoil <laughs> things for me because I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm not going to spoil anything. Even if you did, I'd be like, I'm here for the journey. And like, I think I feel like you kind of already knew that already. Yeah, I really wanted to take it in a direction where each of the characters gets one of those legendary flowers and has their own powers. Mm-hmm. And the direction I actually wanted to take it was in one where Kiana joins the cast um, as a major character rather than as a major supporting character um, because there are four flowers and only three protagonists in the party. And there is a major political upheaval in Xia and Kiana's character becomes a member of the party uh, with powers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we go into a divine political intrigue, which is what I wanted it to be. Um, but for Revenge of the Mountain Orchid, it is going to be, I think if we were, I actually tweeted the other day, if we were to look at my inspirations for that, it would literally be, in terms of vibe, I want it to be like Samurai Champloo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of plot and how simple I want it to be, I want it to be like Yona of the Dawn mm-hmm. or Blood and Blood and Steel. It's a Chinese manhwa. Um, I wanted it to feel like a wuxia story, a revenge tale. Uh, I wanted to have these archetypes. Like I wanted to have the monk because Revenge of the Mountain Orchid would be a perfect way to show how to play a and d monk. I want to have a character who is the opposite of it, a refined, like an unrefined street brawler whose strength seems godlike compared to refined martial arts techniques. Then I wanted like that rogue. Maybe they're like a charlatan. Maybe they're a thief. Maybe they're like a merchant who makes shady dealings. But I want all these characters to be instantly interwoven. Uh, by one very dramatic event. Originally, I thought, because of budgeting, I thought, well, there would be one protagonist and we would pick up a party member every single episode until the finale was the full party together. But scheduling that, I've now realized, would just be a pain in the ass. So in getting everyone together right away and understanding how they're going to be pulled into the story, they don't know what the story is going to be, but how they're going to be present at that inciting incident, to take a term from the Avatar RPG, Mm -hmm. um, 
is something that I want everybody on board for. Like I want three unlikely characters to be bound together and forced to grow together. And I want the players to all be on board for that. That's incredibly insightful. I think that's what I want. I think anyone who's doing an actual play should like take that and tattoo it to their forehead backwards. So every time they look in the mirror, they see it. But (laughs) (laughs) or if they're looking in the mirror and they're pretending to be Bach May, like me. (laughs) (laughs) But 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 honestly, like that type of foresight and just like how I want a story to unfold, like the how is so more important than like any of anything else. And the willingness to 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 live in the messiness of the how is very respectable like but i also I, want, I love hearing I, this i also want to identify where i can't contribute to this like honestly like i have a short list of folks who i want to be on the show like i'd like to have four four cast members mm-hmm. i know it's an unlucky number but i want four people um like obviously, I want you. We already talked about this, <laughs> uh, and I know the type of character that you want to play, unless it's changed. Um, but I know you wanted to play a character that's kind of like Chow from Warrior. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I have in my notes. Um, I really want Jeremy on the show uh, because I think last time we played, we've played TTRPGs with Jeremy. I I like Jeremy's style. Um, uh, there's, uh, their name is Alex. I forget their Twitter handle. Oh my God. And I wish I could pull up my notes, but it's going to, it's going to screw up the overlay. Um, um, shit. I, I, I will leave another monitor. Show notes. Get yeah, you your I fourth have two. monitor. I have two. I need, Sarah won't let me have a third monitor. Um, okay. No shade, no shade. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I want to have like a, a, a I want to have a, a cast where we have these archetypes and I want these archetypes to be wuxia archetypes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want our sort of different experiences to alter how they are traditionally Chinese. Um, it's going to be a simple tale and I want the first five or six epi- episode season to basically resolve very i want it to be i want a clean resolution i want a really simple plot with a clean resolution but with multiple branching options for the next season um i want to be able to do one shots within this story um and i want to be able to publish uh, about this um now that said steve i know do you need a bio break because i'm happy to just sit here and answer some questions um for folks we are going to wrap up in like 24 minutes mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. how do you feel about doing a break now or or, or powering through uh let's 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 take a break now uh okay. if you if you can answer some questions here i, I won't will, be present for that but that's fine that's totally okay so i'll answer some questions while steve takes a break we'll just stay on the screen so folks see me steve will disappear um but we i saw an I saw a question in the chat from Delance too, and it was, "Well, what's your opinion on five E D and D Oriental Adventures?" I saw a lot of folks responding in the chat. Uh, I try not to engage with the chat when we're recording, like uh, unless we're doing a structured Q and A, because there are audio listeners who may not get the context of me saying hi to folks like that. So I want to make sure the content is accessible to everyone. Uh, but I have some thoughts on five E D and D Oriental Adventures. 
Um, I also saw the question about um, the the new monster book and how they brought in some creatures from Oriental Adventures. I also have some thoughts on that. Um, my opinion on 5e D&D Oriental Adventures is, as such, I don't think it should exist. The reason why I don't think it should exist is because in Oriental Adventures, both in the the third edition 3.5 version and the original AD&D Oriental Adventures, there is so much that would need to be cut and a creative team will undoubtedly have to keep problematic content in order to honor the fact that it is an Oriental Adventures Carator product. So bringing back Carator would be a massive undertaking because you would have to fundamentally change what it is in order to do it properly. And isn't that, isn't it just easier to make something fresh? Um, and so that, that's my take. Now, in terms of like the new book having Oriental Adventures stuff, I actually disagree because the new book doesn't have Oriental Adventures stuff. It actually just has Asian creatures that happen to be in Oriental Adventures. Um, those things were not invented for Oriental Adventures. They were appropriated by Oriental Adventures. So I'm excited to see what they do. And if they're not good, we'll talk about it. If they're good, we'll probably also talk about it. Um, but in general, I think that bringing back the Oriental Adventures campaign setting is a terrible idea because of the creative strain that it would undoubtedly put on the team. Uh, They'll have to keep things that are that are bad in order to protect the identity or preserve the identity of Carator. Um, now, I see in the chat, Reese, you got a question: um, Is when it comes to your world, how long did world building take for it? Really good question. Um, so, world building is ongoing. Actually, if you go to my itch.io page, uh, I have a zine there called Paradise Mountain, and that's actually a small section of it. And if you want to see what Dungeons and Asians: Revenge of the Mountain Orchid is all about. You'll actually know what the mountain orchid is if you read that zine. Um, in terms of tools, I started using a different tool than OneNote, because I know Steve knows and everyone knows I love OneNote. Uh, I found something better. Um, and I'm using a free tool called DynaList. Uh, DynaList is basically a tool that lets me index keywords when I'm writing so that if I'm reading through my documents, I can click on keywords and I'll be taken to their main page on my notebook, which has been immensely helpful as a GM. It is probably one of the best things to do. I know that Drew started using it and has moved his entire world anvil to DynaList. Um, but in terms of how long it's taken, it's I've been working on it on and off for the past year. I'm about 15, 15 to 20, uh, I'm between 10 to 20,000 words into it. I have multiple regions all mapped out. I have politicians, political groups, small towns, uh, and I have play where I am, where I have the most density in word count, I have play tested. Um, so it's a constant work in progress. I'm almost done the second region. There are four, um, the Sable Highlands, uh, uh, the White Valley, the Azure Lowlands, and the F, my brain, Steve. Oh my God, the Vermilion Hills. Those are the four <laughs> regions within this area called the Land of Blades. And the current rulers of the Land of Blades is, is the UA dynasty. 
which is very loosely based on a state in the spring and autumn period called the Yue State, the Yue State, and they were based in Zhejiang Province in central eastern China. Um, interestingly, they are the only historical Chinese state that manufactured brilliant swords and named swords. Um, that is not a tradition in Chinese history. It's almost only done in this particular time period of a couple hundred years. Uh, so yeah, it, that's that's kind of the setting. Um, now that said, we could just dive back into questions now that Steve's back. Um, Steve, we have a, a couple questions. We'll go over them in order. We'll prioritize the patrons and then uh, we'll go from there. I'll start with the hard question. <laughs> um, Kat asked two questions. So we'll start with Kat's first question, which is yeah, the serious yeah. one. Um, is there an episode or topic that you'd like to come back to either for an update or a deeper dive? And we just haven't been able to yet. Yeah. Um, Kiana and I had started weaving the story of uh, emotional abuse, basically. Oh, shit. Um, so when you like rewatched like the, the iconic episode where Kiana and I basically took the entire spotlight episode four. it's episode four, the death episode, you'll see that Kiana's character, the Empress, Josha um, basically takes advantage of Lunding the entire time. Uh, she manipulates her and all this kind of stuff. And it's done in a way that takes advantage of the way society, some of her family members, some of the like high court officials all take advantage of her. She was a hurt person. And the Empress was like, I can take advantage of this hurt person for my own gain. And there was a complexity in there because it doesn't necessarily mean that she, her intentions are wholly malicious. It doesn't mean that she doesn't care for lending, but it does mean that she has done this thing that's pretty harmful to this individual person. And we talked about this um, prior to the episode actually airing. There's like an age difference between them. Yeah. What are we comfortable with? That kind of stuff. And that is a story that I was really excited to kind of extend. Um I don't think that door is closed per se, but it is something that I'm definitely interested in exploring again. Yeah, I would really love to go back to that. And uh, I may already be thinking about it. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, of course you are, yeah. For me, I mean, obviously I would say I want to do more regular Dungeons and Asians, but that's not possible right now. Um, Yes, they're, they're okay. So there is an episode. It's not necessarily an episode, but it's a guest who I want back on the show. We just haven't put it together. Um, Sangjun, I really want to talk more about Korea. We don't do that enough on this show. And I would love to have Sangjun back on the show because Sangjun is just kind of one of those minds who's just so incredible. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would love to revisit Korea. Uh, for Asians represent and just learn more. Um, Kat also asked once your once your team had there are any medals, are you going to put together an acceptance video with I punched Keanu Reeves as the soundtrack? If things work out for the Ennies again, I, I'm just like I punched Keanu Reeves every single time. I want that song to play. And um, they're the like we don't want Randall Park, um, but uh, maybe. Uh, that that is most certainly going to be if I were to pick a song, it would be I punched Keanu Reeves. Um, I mean, we yeah. do have that acceptance speech as a YouTube video. 
Like we, we do. Could, we could upload that. I thought that was a really cool one because we did get together and like make a script for it. I just think it's the 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 kind of context of like uploading that or like releasing that now is kind of weird. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I would like to do something because I have mailed out the Ennies and I know most, I think everybody's received them uh, except for the folks who didn't give me their addresses. You know who you are. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I would love to get together with everyone just to have a picture of everyone with it. But, you know, we're all spread out across the world, which is a, an achievement in and of itself. Our team is is globally pretty diverse, which I'm very happy about. Uh, Jeremy asked, um okay i'm gonna start with the jeremy second question first uh if y'all each had to name three to five tangible things you're most proud of in how agents represent has grown since the days when it was just a podcast what would it be three to five i know um i already said one i already said one because it's the fact that we have a brand manual yeah i think that was a huge step for us uh two most proud of is when we did that thing with Shiran because I basically got to sit there and just get super sweaty with nerves with three people who I really look up to. Um, right? Because um, like Cool History Bros, Accent and Cinema, and Shiran are just like, oh my God, I'm out of my league. Um, and I'm going to do the most Daniel thing ever, but the third one is something that I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think for me one was being on the Dungeons and Dragons like official stream. Oh yeah, that was yeah. With all, with all you folks like that was that was really cool. Um, it had, not only because of the conversation, but because of like the professionalism of Watsi. That was really really interesting for me. Um, two was with um, the first time you and I were on Gather Town with that oh, con. Yeah. Uh, yeah, what yeah. was the con called? Session Zero. Session zero. Yeah, that was really, really cool because I got the chance virtually to be a panelist, which obviously like something I'm interested in, but also schmooze by which I mean, yeah, walk around the con and like have conversations one off. People came up to me and was like, hey, Steve, can I talk to you for 15 minutes? I'm like, you can talk to me for 60 minutes. Like, <laughs> like, let's make this happen. Yeah. And then people would come up and like extend the conversation. That was a really, really high point for me and you know asian represent is part of that um dungeons and asians i think was really really valuable for me because you know leading up to that point i already had some experience with making my own actual plays and editing it and and kind of going through those motions but dungeons and asians just really helped me and gave me the platform to level that up you know mm. take all that experience you had and managing and like figure it out and then bring it to this other platform where now we have more clear goals. The goal is less friends having fun and just like making something that's producible to more friends having fun, making something producible. And also we're all on the same page for the stories we want to tell because they're important to us. Um, no shade I, to like my other cast members and things like of that. Course, but like this yeah. one was, <laughs> you know, very uh, direct in our, in our goal. Oh, I have another one that other folks join our discord server to see the the procedures we have in place to use in their own servers seriously yeah oh you know that... who you know who you know who um i was talking to um uh tanya uh cypher of tear tanya to pass yeah um, and tanya was like i because tanya is in our discord uh and tanya was like yo i'm copying a whole bunch of stuff that you folks are doing because it's great 
Wow. And that fucking blew my mind. Shout out to Drew and Pam and you and I, the mods I, and everybody. Like, yeah. I guess it's so weird because like when you're down in the, I don't like war, I don't like war analogies. I, I'm trying really hard to like remove those, but when you're down in the trenches or like when you're doing the granular work, Ross rifles, <laughs> <laughs> when you're doing that work, you don't really think about it, but you know, I guess we have really done a lot of work and put a lot of effort into how we want to organize our channels, how we want to progress, how we build a culture of moderators and how we like escalate and things like that. Like what that and, and openly share how we're learning. Yeah. I guess I really thought about it till now. Yeah, that one's another one. And um, honestly, I think I'm also just really proud of the fact that so many people were able to connect through our show, whether it be in the chat here or in the Discord server. I'm just really happy that people found each other mm. through Asians Represent. Mm -hmm, I think that's mm -hmm. a big one. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, oh, I'm so fucking excited to talk about that thing I can't talk about. Uh, classic classic Daniel. All right, next question. Let's go I to the next question. It's the thing that I, it's, I'm more proud of it than Candlekeep. Um, anyways, high praise, high praise. Yeah, let's, let's move, let's, let's move anyways, on if you can't talk about it. Jeremy said, um, what are your thoughts on the different, uh, additions of D&D? yeah that's it like what do you like about them it's not why one is better than the other what are the uh the stars of each one yeah um for for me it's like fifth edition is obviously the diversity in its creator base um i also really love that it's the most accessible version of D, &D out there uh, more people are playing it it's also the easiest to play uh, fourth edition, I really like because I come from, I was originally a mini war gamer. Um, so fourth edition really appeals to that side of me. Uh, I also thought fourth edition had some really great art. Um, yeah, it really did. I think fifth edition is definitely not up there with my favorite art. Um, I see fourth edition has some fucking bomb art. Um, third edition, I think is still my favorite edition. Third edition and 3.5 is still my favorite edition of D&D. It's the one that I started on before going backwards and then forwards. Um, I think it was awesome because it spawned things like Pathfinder and the Pathfinder SRD, which is basically everything for free. Um, third edition is also um, the edition of D&D where there's just, there's just so much third-party content out there. Uh, I think a lot of the third edition content is still fantastic as a source of inspiration uh, for fifth edition folks who are playing. Uh, if you're trying to do something ridiculous or you're looking for inspiration, I am still looking at third edition and 3.5 books for the fifth edition work that I'm doing. Like Liana and I were literally talking about the book of nine swords like a week ago, which is a great book. Uh, I constantly talk about complete warrior and how I really think those are some of the best prestige classes in D and D and how fifth edition is so unbelievably weak when it comes to those things. Um, I really like 3.5 for those reasons. Um, AD and D I think had some in terms of volume of content had some great campaign setting work. Um, I thought just the, the vast, the sheer amount of material when it comes to world building, it's almost excessive. And I'm not even talking about the quality of it, just the sheer volume of that stuff as like a 
as like an archaeologist, as somebody who loves world stuff, I just like looking at that stuff and seeing it. It reminds me of um, games like Harn. Steve, do you know Harn? I don't know. Harn, Harn Master, is actually a really interesting uh, concept for a game. So for Harn, they have a world. It's like this, this big, huge map. And it's it's a it's a massive it's a, it's a massive world, and each little one is a hex. And every Harn player has a binder. You don't have a rule book; you have a binder, <laughs> and your binder has inserts that you purchase, and you slot them into your binder. And it's literally got everything for little cities. And I have a whole binder here. And it's just, I got this at Gen Con 2019, and it's just Harn Manor. And it's just rules on how to upkeep land. <laughs> it's just an ungodly amount of detail. Like, you don't need this amount of detail. But, you know, AD&D had that. Uh, and then other games kind of kept that tradition up. And then, you know, the like original D&D is probably the one I like least because of the context in which it came out. Um I'm not a fan of the early content. I don't like a lot of the legacy adventures. There are some good ones, but I don't see the appeal of things like Tomb of Horrors. Uh, I even don't like Ravenloft. It's like I know I know it's controversial, but I don't give a shit about Ravenloft. Um, but uh, I would say my favorite edition of D and D is three and three point five because it it was the one I started with. It combines my love of the crunchiness and the world building that you saw in um, AD&D in earlier editions and other D&D offshoots uh, in the beginning with like the campaign setting. Like, uh, like there isn't really <laughs> a book like this for fifth edition right now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you have this? Do you have this book, Steve? I know. I'm aware of that book. Okay, 100%. so this, this for those of you who are just fifth edition people, this is the third edition uh, or three point five. Uh, this is a th- that third. I'm just gonna say third edition. This is the third edition D and D Forgotten Realms campaign setting. So it is everything about the Forgotten Realms. Um, obviously, it's got some of the bad stuff in it, um, but it's got everything from religion to like dungeons it is really freaking cool um and there really isn't a fifth edition book with this much detail um so also there's like i mean candle keep is in here um this is also the first book that got me super excited about DD because it has stats and this is like this kind of shows what kind of DD player i was um or still am it has uh stats for like Dritz Stewart and uh, and stuff like that. Uh, it's it's really neat, and I felt like third edition and three point five D anD D were the editions of D anD D that really I felt helped me create the kinds of characters I want to play in terms of just how powerful they were. Yeah, um, fifth edition characters just don't feel as powerful, um, and and you could certainly change things and modify them, and I'm certainly doing that. But there's just something about having a flat-footed AC or a touch AC that I, I really liked. Um, and then it, you know, fourth edition D and D went into the sort of like let's compete with WoW route. But um, 
I think three, three point five, Pathfinder one and Pathfinder two are kind of that sweet spot for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I have you? a I think I have a lot of similar feelings. Like five E, you and I are both on the same page. Like it's the diversity of our of our creators and stuff shines through. Mm-hmm. And it makes it for me personally my favorite edition so far. Um it's not perfect. There's a lot of stuff where I'm like I feel like you've really fallen short here and like, I wish there was more or the wish there was less and things like that. But it, overall fifth edition feels like a great iteration on the, the, the editions that came before it. So then the moving backwards, fourth edition, why I love it. Um, I think everyone really felt really superhero ish. Like everyone, the, the way I described fourth edition was that it wizards was wizards. Altered- quest. <laughs> it was hero quest. <laughs> So wizards altered reality and fighters lifted mountains and drank oceans. Yeah. Like that's great. I love that. It's, it's not every game I want to play, but it's like, if I could play a game and then take a care, Ooh, concept, play a game and you take a character through the different editions of D and D. Totally. Totally. Um, shout out to fourth edition, trying to remake the canon of the world with the point of lights kind of thing. Yeah. I didn't think, I didn't think it worked out. I really don't No, but it was a really good attempt and like admirable. And I think that's worth calling out for like a big company, like wizards. You took a chance. It didn't work out and I appreciate it. I just think it, you need more input. I also thought the mechanical aspects of fourth edition made it easy, very easy to teach combat to somebody. I actually super agree with that though. I found combat often came like a, a grind rather than like a joy. Yeah, but it was easy to conceptualize what was going on. That's very, very true. And it's yeah. harder to do in fifth edition because it's more ambiguous. A lot of people are like, oh, the narrative freedom makes it easier. It's actually the opposite. The narrative freedom makes it harder, especially for young learners, because they need to see where they sit in the turn order. And um, that brings me to 3.5. Because 3.5, flanking, I love flanking, flat footed AC, touch AC. Yep. Why does plate armor protect you more from fireball? <laughs> like, yep, exactly. So it did th- th- 5e. I don't 3.5, like I love, I cut my teeth on it and things like that. But to, to be honest, um its strength was kind of the idea that if you didn't know what you're doing, you kind of just ruined your character. So yeah. it actually leaned into the idea of system mastery, which is intrinsically something that people just love, myself included. Me so too. after like a couple of years at 3.5 you're like i've mastered the system and you felt great about it you're like yeah it's but, but in it, reality but it's just the mastery that makes it the most inaccessible of all the D systems exactly like there's a reason why we had tier lists in 3.5 because you know it felt great to be a top tier but it also felt many times magnitude worse to be in the lower tiers like that just sucked yeah so i mean i call this ivory tower design and you know it was good. It felt good, but it only felt good because I was on the top. If you were on the bottom, it felt like it also just garbage. Was awesome to see multiple base attack bonuses. <laughs> that, I don't know about that. <laughs> that hurts. That hurts me in five E because like I'm like I should have more tax. I don't know. I needed a spreadsheet to run my frenzy berserker. So. It just worked. It just worked for my. I was third edition DD is also special for me is because like I always struggled with math, and for some reason that got me to get math. It just, really? just got me to get math. Yeah, I'm not good at math, but like that edition of D and D was like, it just clicked. I love that because I was I was I was probably myself I'm being really good at math, but playing a frenzy berserker with five base attacks, and I had to like calculate all of them with 
superior power attack where it's oh, like yeah. minus one for plus three. You have three. to do a lot of pre-calculating and writing everything in. Yeah, so it's, I, it's I, tough. I had a, I had I a spreadsheet it. for it. So I, I would say that if folks are looking for content for 5e, not necessarily player content, but you're a GM, there's lots of great third edition stuff. I um, absolutely agree with there's that. There's like so many monster manuals. Do you want to see how beat up one of my monster manuals is? Uh, where is it? I love that you went to Monster Manual because for me, it's the complete series, complete scoundrel, complete rogue, complete divine, complete arcane, complete warrior. Complete warrior is actually one of my favorite books. That's um, my favorite. Yeah. Okay, check this out. So for also the covers, like the Monster Manual 3. Look mm -hmm. at the cover. They're textured. Um, mine is bound by duct tape. Yep. But it's, it's like, it's, it's, terrible shape like the binding is awful but that cover not for everyone but i really really love the fact that it was like this monster skull covered with these weird fleshy tentacles um but even if you're just looking for cool inspiration as a gm old third and 3.5 books have just a lot of really cool stuff if you're looking for something bombastic look up the epic level handbook that shit's oh, wild. That's really good. <laughs> for for characters level 20 to 40. Yep. Um, um mine was two two books from Thermophy I want to highlight. One, Weapons of Legacy. I thought was one oh, of yeah. the best books. Um mechanically, not great. It was fine. But the idea that we have an entire book about the idea of leveling up your weapons with your characters, amazing. Um, and the other was Elder Evils. So back onto like the high level stuff. Elder Evil is like, let me give you the dense conception of an entire campaign in about 20 pages. Yep. I'm like, yeah, that's really, really cool. I, I actually ran my first West Marches before I knew what the term meant uh, using Elder Evils. Um, and like, it was really, really cool. We had like 20 DMs, 50 players. It was great. That's 3.5 for me. AD&D. Strong, stronghold Builders Guide as well. Ooh, that's look a really how, good Look one. how rough mine is. <laughs> yeah paperback um and then for the older editions like ad and d and like i, I kind of looped them all together because they kind of like off a little They're bit fuzzy for me yeah um i say the idea of xp for gold is actually super compelling yes when i play that i get like a sense of like adventure that i don't get from other games so like they gets kudos for that though i don't have the word to explain why it's so compelling I will also say that the idea of like um, the 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 old school, the OSR kind of idea of like low HP, highly fatal kind of things that can really resonate, but also really detract from a game. And the balance is very hard to um, implement in a way that feels good. If folks are interested in doing that for 5e, I have a resource on that. Um, I was going to recommend just Quest, to be no, honest. I have. I, I don't want to do quest. <laughs> okay, it's fine. You know, we you know we're only running this Dungeon to Agents on quest and oh uh, look, I mean we're not doing that specific show right now, right? Yeah. The reason right. why I don't want to I the reason why I don't want to do quest is because it didn't feel like I the characters were scaling. It was just like you do this thing, right? Um that's fair. That's how I kind of felt about it. So 
there's a there's a YouTuber who I've been following since he first started. His original YouTube account was called Drunkens and Dragons, and he would just get drunk and talk about D and D. Um, but he had a lot of really cool insight. Um, it's now called Runehammer Games. And oh, I'm a big fan. I, I I met him at Gen Con 2018, and I was like, first time I've ever been like, can I take a picture with you? And he was like, wait, you know who I am? I'm like, oh my god, I'm a huge fan. I've watched every single video. Like I've never fanboyed hard, but I was for for him. And uh, he uh, he sent me a care package, and he he uh, he, um, he signed a book for me, which was really neat. Um, and uh, he published this little book called Five E Hardcore. Oh man! Um, and it's got really interesting rules for augmenting your fifth edition games, like how to do things like injuries and how to streamline combat, um, and. Uh, how to do things like um, one of the things I think is interesting is basically you could have hardcore hit dice uh, where like things like dice, your HP never change changes. Um, Or like if you take more than 10 damage, your character has an injury that you can only be, um, you can only be healed if you do medicine checks or spells. So uh, it makes damage narratively meaningful. Um, yeah. so Runehammer Games, publisher of great things. Also, my other favorite tool, the Index Card RPG. Oh, Every GM know. should own the Index Card RPG. Uh, even if you don't play the game itself, the Index Cards are great. As an aside, do you remember in Dungeons Nations where I was like, one of my lines is permanent injury? Like, I just don't want that to happen yep. for my character. I, I, I love permanent injury, but at the same time, like I'm so cautious about it because at any point in time when a permanent injury happens, it might spiral me into this idea that just I was in a really bad place. So that's why that rule exists in unapproved on my notion board for Dungeons and Asians Red mm-hmm. Mountain Orchid because it is something that needs to align with lines and veils. Totally, totally. And like, um, I, I love a- Dungeons Asians because there was a point where I just removed it as a line. You did. It was actually for this episode that I just yeah. released. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that was important for me. And I felt really good to say it. And also now when like games happen, I can talk about it in a much more uh, constructive way. Yeah. Be- because Absolutely. of like the work we did. So we got, we, got some, we got some time to go through a couple other questions. Let's do it. Jeremy asked, are you getting enough rest and not overworking yourself, Daniel? The answer is yes, except I'm playing way too much Elden Ring. My character is level 163. Um, I'm almost done the game, though. Um, <laughs> I'm going to beat it. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to come into my world and help me beat um, Rykard, please DM me on Discord. Um, I'm playing on PC. Uh, <laughs> I want to sleep uh, more, but in, in Dota, I'm super into like. I, I see you love... playing Dota so late, Steve. Yo, like I just love playing Axe and Sand King. Put me on long lane. I love it's that. It's just a character called Axe. I'm Axe. So you love this character building, like world building. His name is Axe, but oh then they God. brought it back into the world building. Axe is a title. You are the Axe. Oh, okay, that's better because they're like, "Hi, Axe. I'm Dark Elf." Yeah. that's a character right so axe you oh, sorry have to i'm not lose. hating on dota <laughs> no that's fine dota is like silly it is silly like terrorblade went to double hell he was so bad in hell they sent him to second hell right like that's how evil he was that is okay. hilarious everyone can enjoy how funny that is yeah um but axe 
you give up your identity. You are no longer a person. You are the axe. And like, that's, that's actually that, kind that's of cool. Sad. But that's neat. And yeah, I, I like that better. I'm literally, yeah. I'm getting more sleep because I'm going to bed early because I'm just reading manga in bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, then, oh. and then Sand King, who I was talking about. Sand King isn't Sand a king. king. Sand King is a desert. Literally the embodiment of a desert. So he's the Sand King because he is the desert. <laughs> so like, it's fun. Like they it's have fun. fun with it. They okay. don't take it too seriously. It is what it is. Uh, and then, I, 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 I respect what you like. I'm balancing it with League of Legends because I only play Vi. Um, and you do. And I do. And I'm so mediocre at it. <laughs> but at the same time, I'm getting better at it. Um, except people keep surrendering and I can never see endgame. So, I really want to go back to playing League, but I'm scared. I'm really into Pokemon Unite. I'm okay, undefeated. Okay. I have a 100% win rate as Dragonite. Okay, well, that's going to stop now because you recorded <laughs> it. But, you know, good on you for up to this point. <laughs> up until this point. Up until this um, point. But yeah, um, no, I'm, I'm sleeping well. And also I'm working out uh, one to two times a day, which has been great for my mental health. I, I know awesome. it sounds like really, really like, eh, but I've been working on going to the gym and like doing what my body says I should do this day and just like listening to it. And that's been really, really good. I know a lot of people out there who listen to our podcast also listen because, you know, I talk about my lifting and my, my exercise and things like that because it's really important to me. And that's not always aligned with a stereotypical Asian man, but here I am. And I love going to the gym and lifting heavy things and eating iron. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think we answered this next question, but I want to read it out because they are a patron. Uh, Amanda comment asked, uh, what's the biggest thing that you get out of doing the show? We spent like an hour talking about this. Sure. There's sure. So much, but, um, you know, it's not. And then I think Amanda said, as I understand it, to put it lightly, when you uh, what you do together is not easy. It's true, but it's worthwhile. And we, you know, things that are difficult generally are things that are worthwhile. Um, if I can add on that, I definitely yeah. feel comfortable enough that if it was too much for me, like I do get weird questions sometimes yeah. and I get weird comments and sometimes they're positive comments and I take it in like a weird way because of other things um i feel comfortable enough with this particular group that i can say like hey i need a break an yeah. indefinite break and yeah that that is acceptable that's fine and that's always been you know sort of the the understanding it's like hey if you need to leave for a bit you leave and this the slot's always open for sure it's always been this revolving door for you for sure i think that's the right analogy uh <laughs> uh specter crumbs uh asked um What's the information that stands out to you the most that you've learned through doing the podcast that you wouldn't have learned otherwise? Hmm. Oh. I think for me, it was actually the Chinese mythology. Um, oh, yeah. Because, you know, I, I present very East Asian and it's very easy to, to like understand me as Chinese. In fact, my family uses Chinese, um, you know, honorifics for family members. Mm -hmm. Um despite the fact that we are very Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah, but your 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 family is originates in China but moved but generationally went to Vietnam and built roots there and then came here. Exactly. And that, that plays into like how we treat the the how we view like Chinese people, mainland versus Hong Kong versus other Vietnamese people and things like that. It's very very complex and you know, we talked about that a bit in the Vietnamese episode of Vietnamese voices. But for me, 
like when you hear me in the podcast, be like, oh my God, that's amazing. You're hearing me hold my brain on the podcast. That's because I didn't know this stuff. And Daniel <laughs> is educating me and like, you're, you're seeing it real time. So that's, my- that for me is like amazing. The educational thing I get as another Asian on this podcast, it's amazing. I I mean, same thing. The, I mean, I could say so many episodes like the, the mixed race ones. I would say the biggest hold my brain moment is actually not on the podcast. It was in the server when we watched the Bahubali movies with KP. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what the fuck is happening? This is so cool. And just like getting all the cultural context behind what's happening in the movies and like the conventions of that. Of, of that filmmaking and the cinematography and the visual design was like mind blowing to me. Um, that's my biggest one of recent memory. Cause it was just like huge. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy. I can't wait for us to do more movie stuff because Drew's absolutely crushing it there. I actually really want to do a, like a manga club or something. Um, doesn't even have to be for physical read scans. I do too. Um, but I would love to do a manga club, mostly to hold me accountable for this. Um, that said, a couple of things that we have to do. Uh, first thing we have to do is actually um, thank our amazing patrons. Um, had some tech issues with the Photoshop, but we have our patrons here. If you're not up here and you're recently a patron, I'm so sorry. Um, we will ha- get you on the next one. Uh, but we have so many people to thank. Um, Marla, where is Marla? I hope Sarah is going to get Marla if she's she's listening. Hopefully, um, I don't have my phone, but uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna try to get Marla. But um, so many folks to thank for um, our continued programming. It's because of these patrons. Um, a lot of this is going to be put directly into Dungeons and Asians. Um, and paying the cast and getting art done. Um, so, so grateful for, you know, folks like Brooke Bright, Pixel Grotto, Jeremy, Daisy May, Arjun, Justin, uh, Wayan, and of course, Sunlit Music. Uh, and then, of course, the most honorable Metal Weave Games, Andreas, one of the folks who taught me how to play League, um, literally taught me how to play League. I feel like Andreas and, uh, and Kara in the server both taught me how to play league and the reasons why I really enjoyed playing league and want to go back. Um, Valorous games right now. We, we in business right now, Liana, I appreciate you. Such an amazing mind and person. Uh, I also just like in general, what would love if Liana was just a part of Asians represent more, um, not even as a guest throwing that out there into the universe. Uh, Dungeon glitch slash Matt, super honorable, always positive on Twitter. Uh, and, you know, we have the most honorable Times 2 Epic Impulse, uh, Name X, and of course, uh, Amanda. I'm going to say your last name wrong, but I know you're Amanda Comet because you're awesome. And that's why I put your question up here. Then we talked about it. Um, you folks are awesome. I'm going to mute my mic right now and try to get my partner to grab Marla. Actually, I'm going to get Marla myself now that I'm downstairs. <laughs> I'm going to get Marla. Steve, hold the air and start talking. So... I'm going to hold the air. And what I'm going to talk about actually is one of the things we always do on Asian present when we stream on live is at the end of every single stream, we always raid another Twitch channel. And we actually couldn't do that until Twitch enabled uh, tags. 
So what I actually do every single time we stream is I load up every single Asian tag that I can find. And the Asian tags are Asian, Asian American, Central Asian, South Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, South Asian. I already said that. Um, And I go through them all. (laughs) And while we stream, I look for those who have the lowest view count. And then I click on their streams and then I look at how long they've been streaming because I'm looking for like the 30 minutes, an hour kind of mark to see if, you know, when we transition and raid them, people can like hang out with them for an extended period of time. And I think that was a really important thing that we do, even though you don't see it on or hear it on the podcast or things like that. I think one of the goals and it aligns with our goals, what I mean to say is that raiding other marginalized folks and just like getting them involved in what we do is really, really important. So I am always happy to spend the extra 10 to 15 minutes finding a someone, finding a channel we're going to raid and then going nuts with it. And we can do that because of that. But, but more importantly, we have Marley here. She is, she is not happy. It took a while for us to get, she does not look enthused by this. Marla, are you gonna say hi to everyone? Oh, we got a little squeak. Okay. <laughs> I hate you. Little toe beans. A little closer. Oh, little bean. Okay. Okay. Mar- <laughs> Marla is very much a, uh, a diva. In this Marla respect. is is a diva. So. Um, again, I want to thank all of our, you know, amazing patrons. Thank you for joining us for this episode, letting us talk about Asians represent, let us, you know, speak our minds about things that are not just, you know, like we're not just talking about education. We're just talking about the show and what we want to do. Uh, I'm really grateful that you folks are, you know, here for this, um, this journey, uh, and that you support us and that, uh, you know, we want to hear your input moving forward. Um, so that said, uh, if you have ideas for Dungeons and Asians, you have folks who you think would be good on the show, or you just want to join our Discord server. And, and, can, uh, and to be honest, to ask questions about how we run things. I yes, think that please. transparency is really, really important. I hope this episode, personally, I hope this episode really helps to understand that if you have questions, we are a resource that you can totally take advantage of and just ask and and understand because we all uplifting each other in this this space go ahead i think what i should do is actually do a stream in the server where we just um i show our setup i'll share my screen i'll show what we do for editing i'll like show how i set things up on my desk and everything like that happy to do it i also have one thing before we leave uh, literally 30 minutes before we went live, I got an email from Watsi inviting me to D&D Direct. Um, they are doing like a remote thing where what uh, <laughs> they're doing a remote thing where they're like having media folks at D&D Direct through Gather Town or, or, or that thing. And they were like in the email, they were like, you can stream this. So I'm thinking of Twitch streaming D&D Direct, or maybe just doing it in our Discord server. Um, we'll see. Um, let me know in our uh, show discussions channel if you want me to do it on Twitch, or if you would prefer that we all react together 
uh, <laughs> in uh, in uh, in Discord. They did write a warning. They were like, "Your audio, your mic will be there. So if you're chatting with your chat and you're wandering around Gather Town, everybody's going to hear you chatting and not hear the other things coming in. So it's going to oh, look yeah. like you're talking to yourself. So I'm going to. That's why, Steve. I said I have to sort out the tech side of things. But I think if I do two mics, one for that, one for Discord, I can like. I can do it. If there's anyone who could do it, it's you. I, I think I can do it. It's next Thursday. I'm going to probably stream for a couple of hours. Also, Steve, you'd be proud of me. I'm on vacation. Um, <gasps> you're kidding. Like, true vacation, vacation where you're not doing work? I took vacation. I have like a month's worth of vacation. And I was like, I'll take two days off. <laughs> I am very proud of you. This is a big um, a big thing. Yeah. I'm this is great. I, this is the biggest step for me. If if anything we learned if anything from this episode, we learned that Daniel took a proper vacation because he wants to read manga. Um that, that's really it. Dude, I love you. I love the thing. I, 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 I love I love what, I love what we've built here and I love continuing working with you. This has been so yes. great. I, I love that we made space to like reflect on it and I hope folks got some value out of this more 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 episodes of us just shooting the shit um <laughs> maybe bubble tea book club this week will just this month will just be me talking about my love of spy family or the the, the trash other trash manga that i read because <laughs> i read some <laughs> trash manga uh well we, we could talk about that um but yeah that said thank you folks for joining us for this special episode um glad you folks get value out of this glad that you asked questions that we were able to answer them and glad that We've had these two years together in the pandemic because I honestly think the pandemic would have been shit if not for these conversations. 